The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. A little bit of recap, if you weren't here last week, because this, this really flows out of last week's uh, teaching, and so I'm just going to talk about a little recap about last week in, in chapter 32. Um, so Moses is up meeting with God. He is receiving the word of God, the law. He's, he's receiving all the things that God wants him to instruct his people. And at the same time, while he's on that mountain for 40 days, the people are at the base of the mountain, and they lost their mind. They, they just totally went off the rails. They've seen God repeatedly perform great miracles and just this, this little extension of time drives them to idolatry. And they tell the priest, Aaron, they, they're like, make, make an idol for us. Make us something we can see that we can worship. And, and so he does that. And God knows, and, and he tells Moses, he's like, your people have lost their mind. I'm going to go annihilate them. They're done. They deserve death for sinning against me. And Moses intercedes, and he doesn't say, God, but they're pretty good people, because we're not. We're sinful, right? He says, it's not because of them, don't, but I don't kill them. Don't annihilate them. Don't wipe them off the face of the earth because of who you are, because it would glorify you. And so God relents. He doesn't go through with that. And Moses' intercession has seemed to be effective. And so that's where we're jumping in today. We're going to be in, in chapter 33. So you can open up your Bibles. You can put your finger there. I want you to read along with me. All right, This is God's Word. This is, this is the most important thing we're going to deal with today. It's not what I say, but it, it's God's Word itself. And so I encourage you to read along with me. Um, and just before we dive in, I want to ask you a little question. Have you ever gotten busted? Don't raise your hand. All right? We don't want to know. Uh, but have you ever done something sinful against somebody, particularly against God, and you, you know that you did wrong? And then instead of getting what you deserved, getting justice, you got mercy. Right? And maybe even a, a blessing attached, and you're like, oh, I got away with it. Okay. So here, to put this into perspective, I got a little boy. His name's Elijah. He's five and a half. Because at five and a half, it's important to add that half. Right? So he's five and a half. And it, it, say he knows all the rules. He knows what we're supposed to do. And I say, hey, if you follow all the rules today, I'm going to give you an ice cream later. Sounds like a good deal. And he goes through the day, and then suddenly it's quiet for a little while, so you know what that means. Something's up. So I go upstairs, and I find him, and he is, he's breaking the rules. And you can tell immediately his face falls. He knows he's caught. And he knows that there's, there's discipline or punishment or chastisement that goes with that. And so we start to have this talk, and I say, you know what you've done. He's like, yeah, I know it. You know the result? Yes. I say, well, I'm going to have mercy on you this time. I'm not going to punish you. And you know what he does. He's, he starts talking really fast, and he's like super excited because he just got away with it. 
And I say, you know what, in fact, I'm still even going to give you your ice cream. I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to let you get what I promised earlier, despite what you did. And now he's like super excited, right? Wouldn't you be? What if I said after that, yeah, I'm not going to punish you and I'm going to give you your ice cream, but you know what? I don't want to be around you anymore. Hurts my heart to even think that, right? Like, I just don't want to be around you. So you can have all the good stuff, but I'm not, I'm not going to be around you anymore. Like, can you imagine that crushing feeling? And that's where we're going to start this morning. So I want you to have that picture in your head as we open up God's Word. All right, so we're in chapter 33, and what we're going to do, all right, hey, I'm a note-taking guy, and I hope you are, but I like to know things ahead. So I'm going to tell you, we're going to go over our key point, our key takeaway today, and that is that God's glorious presence is what we seek above all else. God's glorious presence above everything else. And just, you know, I like to know ahead of time too, so I'm going to tell you, we're going to go, we're going to have four points, all right? We're going to break up God's word in chapter 33 into four sections. We're going to go through it and see what he has for us. So with that, uh, like I said, open your Bible, go along with me, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I'm sorry, I told you I like to give you the points, right? Our first point is seek the blesser, not just the blessing. It says, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I'll send an angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites, right? And go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And we're going to pause there. Now, it starts off sounding pretty good, right? Didn't get in trouble, didn't get what we deserved, we got mercy. And just so we know, when we're talking mercy, mercy is when we've done something that deserves punishment and we don't get that, right? We, we, we get something that, we, we don't get something that we do deserve. And it sounds good, and he says, I'm even going to send you up. I'm going to send an angel, and there he's going to drive out your enemies, and you still get the promised land. But, but I'm not going to go with you. A commentator said that there was a tragic irony in the episode of the golden calf. The people wanted to provide for themselves provide themselves with a reassuring symbol of God's continued presence in their midst, yet the very symbol became the instrument of their alienation from God. Although Moses' intercession saved the people from annihilation, Israel had not yet secured full pardon and reconciliation with God. So when God says, I ain't going with you, he is declaring that there is a break in the relationship. I'm still going to give you what I promised because of my character, but I'm not going with you. You don't get me anymore. 
I'll tell you, when I was preparing this message, this passage convicted me. Because I realize how easily, how often, I am content with the blessings apart from the blesser. I love the benefit of following Christ, the the hope that he's given me, the change in my life, all the blessings that go along with that. But it is so easy to focus in on those blessings, the things that we have, and stop pursuing God for him, for his presence. We start enjoying the blessing, but ignoring the blesser. And so I was convicted and started to say, like, wow, Lord, show me when I do this, because I don't want to do this. I want to have the response that your people had. And so as we continue in verse 4, it says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. Still going to get the blessings, but the idea of being apart from God was disastrous. Do we feel that? And they mourned. And this is a right response. Even when we feel like we got away with it. And I say that because I'll tell you, sin always has consequence. You never really get away with it. It might seem like it in the moment, but that sin has consequences. Thankfully, God's people realized what that consequence was, and that was a separation, a break in relationship from their God. And so they mourned. They repented. It goes on to say, And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now, take off your ornaments that I might know what to do with you. And therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. This is the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. From that point on, They've stripped themselves of the ornaments. And when we're looking at these ornaments, these are the things that they plundered when God brought them out of Egypt. They're an outward example of his. And he says to take off those ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So we see his great mercy, but we also see him checking their heart. Are you willing to lay down those blessings that I've given you? The benefits that I've given you? Are you willing to strip those off for me? Is what he's saying. and, And they do. And so we see God's great mercy is displayed as they humble themselves and mourn their sin. This is very important because you can have everything. The promised land is still promised to them. But when he says that he's not going, what do you think that means to them? Like, in reality, the promised land is no longer that apart from him. Heaven is not heaven without God there. 
We have to realize these things and seek after him and not just what he can give us. There's this beautiful picture of the throne room of God in Revelation. And the elders are around and they have their gold crowns, their ornament, right? And they're not all sitting around going, look at my crown, man. Look what I got. When the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they take those and they just throw them down at the feet of God. Because the ornaments aren't important, the blessings aren't important. What's important is the worship of the one true and living God. That's where we need to be. We need to mourn our sin. And hopefully, before we come to that conclusion that we still get blessing, but he's going to distance himself from us. Do you mourn your sin? even when it seems like you got away with it? Do you display humility as you come to God in repentance? We often get distracted, even by the good things of God, where we drop our eyes off of. We need to seek the blesser, not just the blessing. That brings us into our second point. And as we seek that blesser, we want to abide in God's presence. So we seek to abide in God's presence. And Moses shows us that as we start back in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. Do you get that it's outside the camp? She's making us know that it is, there's still a separation there, right? And this isn't the tabernacle. This tent, it, some, some have said that it's probably Moses' tent that he's taken to create a place of meeting because the tabernacle that was supposed to be built, that was supposed to be right in the center of the camp, he said he's not going to be there. And so he's created this thing, but we see a blessing even in that tent of meeting where God says that everyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. It was available, just had to seek after him. Now, when we think camp, it's very easy to go off of our own uh, ideas and experience of what camping looks like, like a little campsite, right? We're talking, when we talk about this camp, it's, it's a couple million people. It's a big camp, and so it's a long walk, and this tent is a far-off ways from the camp, right? And what we see next is this, this modeling of what it looks like to seek after God. It says, when Moses went out to the tent, all of the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, 
his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So we see Moses modeling for the people that, that the presence of God is still available, but we have to seek after it. And there's some interesting things going on. Like, they're all watching. They see him. And as he goes, they're standing up and they're watching. They're like, there he goes again. He's going to meet with God. And when the pillar comes down, they all rise up and they worship, which is good. But they're worshiping at their tent door, far off from the presence of God. We can be guilty of this too. We can come, we can observe other people, we can, we can worship far off and miss out on abiding in his presence. And notice that Moses doesn't come with his list of demands, his list of desires and needs and say, hey God, I'm glad I got to talk to you today. Here's what I need. I need this and this and this and this. See you tomorrow. Anybody feel a little convicted of that in your prayer life? Because I can do it too. I can, I can come and, and list out all the things that I need him to do, I want him to do, and then not just sit in his presence and talk with him as a friend. You notice this word. It doesn't say the Lord would speak to Moses, but speak with Moses. Eye to eye, face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. And now we're going to get to this idea of the face because uh, we're going to talk about that. You can't see God's face and live later, but this idea of face-to-face is eye-to-eye, equal setting. And in those days, if, if you were uh, younger, if you were a lower status, you would not look a superior in their eye. But God comes down and, and they meet as friends. And this is all, and we learned this last week too, this is all pointing to Jesus. Moses is a shadow of what's to come. It's, it's pointing us to how Jesus is, is abiding in, in the Father, in the Spirit. He, he comes, he's showing us that. And he's the example of what it looks like to truly abide, to be with, without a transactional relationship. And I can do this, I can, I, like I said, come with my requests and demands even and, and, and forget to just be with him, to get to know who he is. Now, if, if I came and did that to my wife, Terry, and every day that was the extent of our conversation, hey, honey, I need you to do this and this and this and this, see you tomorrow. Our marriage would not be going very well, would it? Relationships don't work like that. We have to spend time. We have to get to know each other. We have to seek out that special moment, sitting in each other's presence, abiding in the presence. And it's amazing that it was still available to them. And it's what is in us, abiding in us, living in us, dwelling closer than a breath. When we seek him, he's there. And we can sit 
in his presence. And when we do that, we get to know more of who God is. And so we want to seek the blesser, not just the blessing. We want to seek to abide, rest, be with him in his presence. And when we do this, brings us to our third point, is we'll seek his way. And it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and I have also found favor, or you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this, this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. I love that, that, that cry like, please show me your way. He said, like, you, you've said this, but I, I, I'm not sure still. I need to figure out, like, is this your plan? Is this how it's supposed to be, to go into the promised land like you said? Have I really found favor of our relationship is, is huge. Because I'll tell you, if you're like me, you got a lot of plans, right? you got your ideas of what you think is the best thing for your life. Hey, God, I want this job, career. I want to go to this school. Lord, I want to marry this person. Here's my plan. Bless it. Right? Instead of coming like Moses and saying, God, what's your way? What's your way? Because I don't want you to bless my plan. I want to follow your plan. Are you, are you seeking him and his plan, his way, which is the best way, far beyond what we can imagine? Or are you just coming and, and saying, Lord, this is what I want to do? Bless it. Because I'll tell you, it goes wrong when they do that. The people of Israel later, they, they say, we want a king, we want a king. And they demand that blessing, that, oh, bless this plan that we have. We want to be like everybody else. And he gives them a king, and it does not go well. When, when, when we're about our plan, things don't turn out great. So we, we say, Lord, show me your ways so that, so that I can find out more of who you are, that I can learn more about you. And then 
He says, Lord, if you're not going, I don't want to go. If, if you're not in this, I don't want it. Again, like we said, heaven isn't heaven apart from the presence of God. We can have all the good stuff and miss him. and It ain't good anymore. I would rather be chastised by a loving father who is close than to be sent with all the blessings and have the presence of God far off from me. So we have to have that sense in our heart as we go about our life, as, as we look to what the future holds, we got to say, God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. No matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter if it's flowing with milk and honey, if you're not in it, I don't want it. I want to I come behind you. I want to walk in your way. I challenge you as, as you're going through decisions in your life. Don't, don't come with his plan or with your plan and ask him to bless it, but come seeking his plan. And we can do that when, when we turn up to his. And then what we start to ask for is what he wills for us. And all this leads to our fourth point, which is to seek his glory. In verse 17 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Isn't that awesome? Like, not a number, not a face in the crowd, but he knows us by name. All about us. And Moses said, Please, show me your glory. Please show me your glory. God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you'll stand on the rock. And, and while my glory passes by, I'll, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And if I'm Moses, I am ecstatic. Because I've sought out who he is, and when I seek who he is, I just want more. I need a glimpse of his glory, even if it's just his back, as he passes all his goodness in front of me. Even if it's just that glimpse. But we, we have something that Moses did not have. We don't have to just have that glimpse of the back of God. And in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God, 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? The face that could not be seen by man and live. And God made a way. The incarnation of Christ was the glory of God revealed to us. Your interaction that you've had with Jesus in your life is the glory of God revealed to us. The gift given beyond mercy, beyond blessing, but his glorious presence with us. The spirit of the living God in us, the glory of Jesus should be in our hearts driving everything we do. All of this, all of this is pointing, it's a picture of the gospel. And as we look back on this through the lens of the cross and what Jesus did, we can see that gospel played out. This God, this glorious God, he didn't separate. He made a way for us to come. Those who seek him can be in his presence. This glorious God who lives in unapproachable light, who knows that we need more than just his mercy and blessings, but we need him. He made a way. He made a way by sending his son, sending Jesus that he descended down from heaven like so that we could be reunited with our creator, that we could be in communion with our creator, that we could sit in his presence and know him. He didn't move away, but he actually drew nearer to us. And through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the fact that he lives again and is ruling and reigning in heaven now, it's all revelation of the glory of God. So I challenge you, challenge you to not just seek after those blessings, but seek God. To to rest and abide in him, to, to get to know him, to spend time with him, talking with him, not to him. To to seek after his way as we align our hearts to him and his plan. And then when he gives us those things, as we learn more about who he is and what he's done, it should drive our hearts to cry out, show me your glory. Give me more. I need you. Above all else, we seek the presence of God. You'll pray with me.